We just put a story on Cleveland.com that was written by our sister state, MLive.com, which is a terrific explainer of the very strange weather we're going to have at the end of the week. Check it out on Cleveland.com. It's by Mark Torregrassa. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin and Laura Johnston for her walk-off performance on this podcast. Yay, Laura, yay. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for 2022. I will take my bow. She'll be back January 3rd. Let's get to it. A bipartisan U.S. House committee voted unanimously Monday to refer former President Donald Trump for criminal prosecution on four charges, including inciting an insurrection. None of the nine committee members voting are from Ohio, but Ohio did have the shame of having one of its House members also named as a problem for the committee. Lisa, no surprise here who it is. Yeah, it's our favorite seditionist, Jim Jordan, the uh, Republican from (laughs) Champaign County. Um, He was named with three others, and they are going to be referred to the House Ethics Committee for ignoring subpoenas that were, you know, issued by the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Along with him is House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Andy Biggs, of Arizona and Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. And in this final report where they mentioned this after the the main report, they said, you know, that these four men, quote, should be questioned in a public forum about their advanced knowledge and their role in Trump's plan to overturn the the election. They also called Jordan a significant player in efforts to do this and pointed out that he had numerous post-election meetings with senior White House officials and, and Trump attorney Rudy Giuliano. He spoke to Trump by phone at least twice on January 6th, and he spoke with the White House about pardons for Congress after January 6th, but not for himself, for others. And he, you know, the support, the the report suggested that the Department of Justice might be able to elicit testimony from these four men via a grand jury, but that remains to be seen. We're pretty sure that the Republican-dominated House will not sanction uh, Jordan or the others, but at least he's got called out. And Jordan spokesman Russell Dye says this is just another partisan and political stunt, and he accused the committee of failing to respond to Jordan's numerous letters about the legitimacy of the committee's work. They also accused the committee of altering evidence and blocking um, Republicans from the committee. Yeah, I th- th- to try to convince America that there really wasn't anything to January 6th and that this is partisan nonsense is ridiculous. We all saw what we saw. We know how close we came to losing control of the government. And this committee has done extraordinary work. The, the things that we've learned by watching what they've elicited has has really expanded our scope. And we know President Trump exhorted these people to violence. And then when he could have stopped them, spent hours watching it in a room on television, ignoring pleas from just about everybody to stop it, to call for an end to the violence. Jim Jordan is embarrassing for Ohio. He has been for a long time. This, you're right, this won't have any effect, except he's planning to launch all sorts of his own investigations. Mm-hmm. Good luck subpoenaing Democrats now because you didn't respond to theirs. They'll tell you they're not responding to yours. I would say that turnabout is fair play in this in this instance. I just don't, I, I, I get that for the Fox News viewer, that, you know, who's blind to what happened, that calling it partisan might make some sense. So if you're just playing to the ridiculous base, 
But for most people, that doesn't work. They know what happened here. They know there was some conspiring going on. And for him to just pretend it's hokum, it's not. This has never happened before. A House committee has asked the Justice Department to prosecute a former president for actions he took while president. I mean, that's we've been around for a long time as a country, and that's never happened once before. And we have plenty of evidence to suggest that Jordan was there every step of the way. So, you know. Yeah, I wonder what's the Justice Department, why it's taken so long. It's time. It's today in Ohio. We talked Monday about Cleveland Clinic's unattractive campus and wondered whether it is designed not for aesthetics, but for patient convenience. A listener heard that conversation, Laura, and sent us a note with her thoughts. We also heard from another listener that wondered the same thing we did. What did this patient have to say about patient convenience? That it is not very convenient (laughs) at all. So this regular listener said she wanted to give her perspective. She says she visits the clinic's main campus many times a year, and it is not patient-friendly. So we referenced the valet parking And she said she's waited up to 45 minutes for valet service and more than 60 minutes to be to get her car after an appointment. I can't even imagine the anxiety that must cause if you're going to a doctor's appointment and you know how important time is to be delayed like that. But if you park in the garage, I guess that's another kind of frustration. She said she's driven around 20 or more minutes just trying to find a space that has to walk to the appointment, which she says can take 15 or 20 minutes on its own. And then it costs money. There's an hour of free parking. But if you are in a doctor's office waiting or walking that far, you're going to be charged after the first hour. Look, this is what you said. You talked about when you go there, you're all confused about where to go and you don't know which building it is. And this is somebody who's there regularly who has the same attitude. I mean, It was a long note saying, hey, let me share with you what's going on. So what we have is it's an ugly, unapproachable campus, and it's confusing for patients. Is there anything about this campus that makes sense? I mean, maybe it's convenient <laughs> for doctors and the employees, but I mean, they have to manage the same kind of walking that everyone else does. They obviously they're going to know the system a whole lot better. They're going to know where they're going, but. You know, Steve Litt's story that ran over the weekend we talked about yesterday, I mean, he got so pointed to the point where he measured the sidewalks and he called it like a canyon in between these giant fortress-like mm-hmm. buildings that I, I just have to think that if the buildings looked a little different from each other and if there was more green space, you would be able to wayfind from the outside. And I understand we live in Cleveland and these are frail patients sometimes, so it's not like everybody's going to take advantage of walking on the sidewalk. But just to know where you're going, to see the building would be helpful. And UH is just on the other side of, you know, Euclid from here. Their campus feels very different. Yeah, actually, you're right. I've been to the UH system quite a bit, and I've never been confused about where I'm going. And they're very helpful about getting you there. And the parking is convenient. So. Well, I, I think that, you know, in, in, in Houston, and we have so many people, I keep referring to it because I know it, but the Texas Medical Center has like 40 institutions, but they all got together as a group because Texas Medical Center is, you know, an LLC or whatever. And they did wayfinding for the entire area, not just hospital by hospital. And that really made a difference for people trying to find the correct parking and everything. So I wonder if all these institutions should really work together on wayfinding. 
Well, and Steve, what's right? Maybe it's time for the planning commission to say, we're imposing a new zoning district on you because you have failed repeatedly to make this work. We're going to kind of force it here. Good conversation. It's Today in Ohio. Democrats in Columbus have been working for years to bring some sense to Ohio gun laws to cut back the availability of guns to people who should not have them. So what happened in the final hours of the lame duck session where Democrats actually helped spike a bill that might have done that? Lisa, this was a fascinating story to come out of the final hours of that session and not what one would expect. Democrats and Republicans working together against a gun law. Very interesting outcome in the waning hours of the legislative lame duck session. Uh, the Republican from Springfield, Representative Kyle Kohler, he moved to amend a bill on animal abuse penalties to add an amendment that would stiffen penalties for convicted felons later found guilty of unlawful weapon possession more than once. The current law bans people under disability, meaning they're a fugitive, a violent felon or whatever, from having weapons. And the amendment would make it like a three to 10 year prison sentence for somebody's third conviction. So House Democrats who have had zero success in pushing even mild gun law changes through our legislature, um, you know, Juanita Brent, the Democrat from Cleveland, she said, you know, this She tried to force a vote to shelf this amendment. It failed. And then another Cleveland lawmaker, Monique Smith, said this this was a veiled attempt to look like we're doing something about gun violence. And when it came down to a vote, though, the vote failed. The amendment failed 37 to 48. Uh, Six Democrats went along with it, including um, the House Minority Leader, Allison Russo. The entire um, Ohio Legislative Black Caucus voted no. So Bill Seitz, the representative from uh, Cincinnati, he said he tried to change everyone's minds. He felt this was a modest step forward. And it really is. If you look at it, it's, you know, a way of stiffening penalties. And he said it was amazing that Democrats voted down a gun control bill. Except these laws do seem to be used disproportionately with black defendants. And so I understand why the black caucus was like, wait, what are you doing? The fact that it was rushed into the final minutes without having a full discussion also alarmed some people on both sides. In in reading the story, I thought, you know, the right thing probably happened here. If you want to pass this law, do it right. Talk Mm -hmm. it out. Have hearings you know, put in safeguards so that this does not become just another law that can be used to, to racially discriminate. But uh, uh, just the, the way sausage is made in this state, this was a story that really gave you an insight into it. And of course, Bill Seitz is on the losing side. That's usually a good thing. <laughs> it's today in Ohio. Federal law enforcement officials are warning parents of a growing scam that preys on teenage boys with online extortion. Laura, how is it happening and what's involved? Oh, as a mom of a kid with a cell phone, this is terrifying. Since May, U.S. law enforcement has received more than 7,000 reports of online financial what's being called sextortion of minors with at least 3000 victims, more than a dozen of whom have committed, have died by suicide. And that's according to the FBI, the Homeland Security Investigation and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Some of these victims are as young as 10 years old and typical targets of the scheme are boys ages 14 through 17. The criminals are cost on platforms like Instagram, Facebook or gaming websites 
places that kids feel comfortable. And then they create online profiles that claim to be teenage girls, often from nearby communities. So kids they wouldn't necessarily know, but seem safe and comfortable. And then they might share explicit photographs that they say are of those girls and ask for a photo in in return. And that's when they can start blackmailing. Yeah, the numbers were what struck me. Thousands and thousands of cases of it. It it just has taken off so much so that they issued this warning. What do you do if you're a parent? Well, I called my kid in. (laughs) I said, (laughs) let's talk about this. And he is not on any social media platforms, but I do know that he plays games. Um, I don't think he's interacting on the internet with the games, but like these things change all the time. And I just wanted to have a conversation. I was like, don't ever talk to someone you don't know that you don't have their contact information on the internet. And he said, you know, he's getting all sorts of those, the same junk texts that we all get, you know, for your $60, whatever at Walgreens. And I thought I actually hadn't had this conversation with him. And you know, what if he clicked on one of those links? So it's something as soon as your kids are connected to the internet, you've got to have the conversation, the authority, you know, the law enforcement says this is not the kids fault. These are they're being preyed upon from criminals often in West African countries. And that you need to talk to the authorities. Don't cooperate with the blackmail. You need to block the predator. Don't delete it because that could be used for prosecution. But get help. Don't, don't try to deal with this on your own. So that's what you did yesterday. As soon as you saw this, you thought I, I need to talk to him. That's smart. More people should yeah. do what you're doing. That's really proactive. And you're right. You get spammed all the time. I, you know, I've mentioned that I ride the Peloton and over the weekend, somebody hacked them. And so lots of people got messages from people that wanted to be followers with really raunchy pictures. <laughs> so it lit up Facebook, like what's going on with Peloton? And you're right. You just get blasted by the kind of pictures you really don't want your teenage son to be receiving. It's today in Ohio. Incoming Cuyahoga County Executive Chris Ronane announced some cabinet members Monday. Lisa, who are they? He named three people to his cabinet uh, over the last few days. One of them is uh, she's the current county clerk of courts, Nyla Bird. She is going to be Ronane's safety and justice chief. She will be responsible for developing long-term strategy for public safety and justice services and working with related departments like the medical examiner and the sheriff's office. Uh, she's also a former county inspector general and county chief ethics officer, so she has quite a bit of history with the Cuyahoga County, and also a former federal prosecutor. Brooklyn Mayor Catherine Gallagher will become Ronane's Operations and Community Innovation Chief. Uh, that she'll be responsible for internal operations improvements and productivity, also working with local communities to make sure they get the resources they need. She's been Brooklyn's mayor since 2016 and will resign at the end of this year. And then for uh, an interim mayor, Council President Ron Van Kirk will assume that, and then they'll take 30 days to appoint a permanent uh replacement for Gallagher. And then David Razum, who was Ronane's campaign manager and communications director at University Circle, will be Ronane's communications and strategy chief. He will work across departments and work with local and regional partners to advance Ronane's agenda. Laura, you have some familiarity with the, the mayor? Good, good quality? Good I think stuff? we... I think that she's been active in county politics before, so I'd seen the name. And obviously, she's done good things for Brooklyn, where we're located now. Um, and I remember Nyla Bird from when I covered county government. And I never, she always seemed really upfront to me, always uh, straight and honest, and did a good job as the inspector general. So he's picking some people that have been around 
know the county government, but are, I think, a new crop of leaders in the county. Yeah, the, the, the trick on this, and I don't think we've seen much success anywhere, is they've got to have a thick skin. They've got to be able to mm-hmm. take criticism and move on. What happens more and more is they get they screw up, and they will. Everybody does. And when they get criticized, they go into the bunker. I don't know any of these people to know if they'll do that, but I hope not. It's Today in Ohio. One does not normally think about the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority when considering the region's work to reduce infant mortality. So what is the RTA doing to help? I didn't assign this question. I I assumed it was for me. I took it. (laughs) Uh, So this is really thoughtful to remove a barrier to transportation so that new moms and babies can get to their very critical doctor's appointments in those first few months. The agency is offering baby on board. This gives free bus and rail passes to pregnant women and their families. And then for up to a year after the baby, well, the baby turns one. And transportation is this major barrier for some pregnant women and postpartum women that they miss these important appointments. And we all know infant mortality, which is, you know, babies who die before their first birthday. This is a huge problem in Cleveland. It's really uneven. They measure this by the number of babies who die before their first birthday per thousand live births. So the rate in Cleveland was 10.5 last year. Cuyahoga County was 7.4. But for white newborns, that was 6.3. Some black infants in Cleveland was 14. And in some neighborhoods, it was as high as 20, which is just so heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I, I salute him for thinking of this. I it, When I first saw RTA and infant mortality, I was thinking, okay, what, what's going on? But, but that is at the heart of this, is making sure that moms get the help they need at the hospitals. The second part is that the doctors take them seriously, which we know mm-hmm. is a problem. Uh, and it's one of the reasons people use for the higher rate of infant mortality among black patients is that doctors just aren't listening to them. But getting them to the doctor is step one. Right, exactly. And and it's not just for these pregnant women. They can have someone come with them, which is really important because it is, even if you're doing it for free, it's not easy to get a baby on a bus, I'm sure. That's not a, I mean, it's not easy to take a baby anywhere. So I'm really glad that they're offering this. They handed out 114 passes in 2021. This year, we're up to 626. So hopefully more people are learning of it. I saw there's an entire ad on the side of at least one bus. So getting the word out is really important. And I hope this makes a difference. It's today in Ohio. I mentioned it at the top of the podcast. Lisa, how unusual is the weather that's being predicted for Christmas Day and the holiday weekend? Pretty darn unusual. As a matter of fact, the last time that Cleveland temperatures were below 20 degrees all day was in 2004. There was a day when the high was 18 and the overnight low was negative 6. And then in 1985, that was the last time we were below 15 degrees all day with a high of 11 and a low of negative 1. So yeah, and the, and let us just say that the forecast is changing. Uh, I, I know that the Cleveland.com story says we're expecting overnight lows of 8 degrees Saturday night and a high of 15 on Christmas Day, but actually it might be a bit lower than that. I'm looking at a forecast from the Weather Channel saying it's actually going to be a low of 5 Saturday night on Christmas Eve and a high of 12. So it's a changing 
you know, it's a changing forecast. They really don't know where the snow is going to happen, where the changeover is going to happen. It's going to start out with rain on Friday, and then the temperature is going to drop precipitously. So we could have anything from freezing rain. We could have snow. It's so everyone really needs to pay attention to the weather, especially if you're traveling. Yeah, there's going to be that point where the rain suddenly freezes. And that's that Mm -hmm. moment where people are racing down the highway and all of a sudden you have a 30 car pile up because the road just ices over. You got to hope that ODOT will be out putting down that brine to keep that from happening. Well, Uh, go go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say what I've read is that the rain actually makes it harder for them to put down the brine because if they put down the brine, the rain washes it away before freezing happens. So brine might not even be an option here. Wow. And and depending on where you are, depending on how this this cold front whips around, you could get half the precipitation we're going to get is rain or you could get most of it is snow. I think they're supposed to start generating some predicted snowfall totals in the next 24 to 48 hours. So we haven't seen yet whether it's going to be blizzardy conditions, but I I can't remember ever seeing a weather map quite like the one we have on our site right now that almost looks like a giant tornado. It's just with ice and rain and snow. And it's so big, it's got such spin that you could get you could get the weather from the southwest, you could get it from the northeast. And right now, the predictions for like Friday through Saturday, we're looking at like four to eight inches of snow during that period. But like I said, this is a changing forecast. All right. It's today in Ohio. The Cleveland Clinic chief of hepatology has been charged with some crimes. They're pretty serious, Laura. What are the allegations? Yeah, no surprise. This story immediately shot to the top of our charts. People see Cleveland Clinic doctor and charged with crimes. People want to know. So um, Omar Masood, he's a Cleveland Clinic affiliated gastroenterologist. He's been charged with sexually assaulting three patients during examinations this year. He's 66. He's from Westlake. He was charged with three counts of aggravated kidnapping, three counts of gross sexual imposition. The clinic put out a statement. They said it immediately reported their allegations to law enforcement and that it's cooperating. They fired him following an internal investigation. Yeah, this is one of those that you read it and you just kind of look at it funny. This guy's at the top of his field, at least as of a year ago. He was chief of hepatology. What Mm -hmm. is he thinking? We have not heard from him or his lawyer, right? No, we haven't, as as far as I know. Probably, probably won't. Okay, it's today in Ohio. Another Cleveland Clinic story. A new study from the clinic has news for people who take fish oil supplements. Lisa, what's the word? Basically, the word is that you're wasting your money on supplements if you think that they're going to lower your cholesterol. This Cleveland Clinic study analyzed data for 190 adults aged 40 to 75 with no evidence of cardiovascular disease. So they looked at statin drugs, which is the the standard of care for uh, cholesterol, and they also compared it with seven supplements, fish oil, garlic, cinnamon, turmeric, plant sterols, red yeast rice, and then they had a placebo. And so the participants were on these regimens for 28 days. The statin group showed a 40% reduction in LDL or bad cholesterol, a 24% drop in total cholesterol levels. The supplement and the placebo groups had no benefit at all, and actually no supplements performed any better than the placebo. 
uh, study co-author Dr. Duke, Luke Laffin says, don't waste your money on supplements. And he says, please don't consider using supplements instead of statins. Because he says some people, you know, get prescribed statins by their doctor, but they decide to use supplements instead. He said they're not FDA regulated and, and most are really not tested in long, large randomized trials yet. So we really don't know the overall efficacy. All right. So what is somebody like me supposed to do? I've been taking fish oil supplements probably for 20 years, right? And I just had my heart calcium test and it was pretty much perfect. So is that because I've been taking those or is it do nothing? I remember I'm going to date myself here. The old Flip Wilson show way back in the day (laughs) had a skit where he's stamping his foot on the floor and the guy comes up and says, what are you doing that for? And he goes, it keeps the elephants away. Guy says, there's no elephants within a thousand miles of here. And he says, see how good it works? <laughs> I mean, it's so I'm not going to stop taking the supplements because I'm, I'm worried that, you know, what if it does work? What if the study's wrong? But I'm probably doing exactly what he's saying and throwing my money away. It, it is a really small sample. And I do know, you know, from my work at MD Anderson Cancer Center, there are some, um, you know, avenues for turmeric and other supplements. But like, like I alluded to, there are no large randomized studies of these things. And I think that that's what's missing here, plus the small sample. But yeah, you can maybe stop buying it, Chris. You won't have any more fish burps, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm going to keep taking them. <laughs> if I ever need a statin, I would take the statin. I wouldn't use the fish oil in place. But I don't know. It's an interesting study. It's today in Ohio. As this is Laura's last podcast episode of 2022, let's take one last visit (laughs) to her housing renovation project that has provided entertainment all year. Uh, I'll let you in on a secret. Laura provides the daily list of stories to choose from to build this podcast. And on that rare day when we didn't have enough stories, I figured, okay, let's talk about Laura's house. It filled the gap. Laura, tell us about the closet door that made no sense in your house. Well, it swung inward and I didn't realize this until the door was completely installed. And I I wrote in the column that ran over the weekend, there's a million things to keep track of, right? And I'm constantly micromanaging this renovation, which by the way, is done. I am podcasting from our new bedroom. So hurrah, we are home for Christmas. It's, it's, I even have siding now, which is so exciting, but (laughs) I I did not realize that they were going to build it that way. And I, and I said to the contractor, I was like, it can't swing this way. Like I need to put a, I need to put a dresser in my closet. I I need this room. It's not a huge walk-in closet. It's, it's smaller than my old closet. We had to reconfigure some things to put a window in the bathroom when the design review board required it. So, and he's telling me, well, you can, you can just walk in the closet and close the door behind you and you could use that space. And I'm thinking, <laughs> do, who, who does that? And, and, you know, Chris has asked me before, like how many winter coats I own. Like I, I like clothes. I go thrift shopping. We've talked about it in the podcast before. So yes, you could just tell me to get rid of half my clothes and we wouldn't have this problem. But I, so I said, I want the door to swing out. And he's like, well, and I guess, I am not a handy person, right? I kind of thought you could just move the hinges from one side of the door jam to the other. <laughs> nope. <laughs> There's the laugh track, right? So I didn't realize we'd have to flip the door, change the swing, and like redo a bunch of trim. So the cost was $450. And I, you know, got my back up and I'm like, I'm not paying for that. I never told you to put the door swing in. And the contractor's like, well, let me check the prints. And I was like, oh, 
So I went back and we have this app called Builder Trend and everything's on there, all the change orders, all of the selections and all of the documents. And I went back and sure enough, when you zeroed in on this tiny little blueprint, you can see the door swinging inward. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Like, so I had to shell out for that. But I'm very glad I did because... I mean, I needed my door to swing. Yeah, the, the part I, I don't get why it was designed that way in the first, but who would design a closet door to swing inward? That's just wasting That's what space. I thought. Yeah, it's it's critical space. Closets are super important, whether you have 30 winter coats or not. And to <laughs> swing the door in, you're just losing whatever it is, you know, four or five square feet of space. So. Uh, interesting, but it, you're right. It's a good lesson for anybody that is entertaining a project like Lars. Read those blueprints. And, well, I, I yes, gotta, and somebody actually emailed me a contractor and he said, we always have a walkthrough. I forget what he called it, but when the prints are 80 to 90% done, they walk through them with that person and they explain to them what everything means, which is great because most of us don't know how to read blueprints that well. I'll well, tell you what, we, I, I and I told Laura that I, you know, I I chuckled at the end of her story when she said she was moved all her furniture up. They're spending their first night in their new master suite, and the wall sconces on either side of the bed were wired to a switch by the door. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm sorry, I laughed, Laura, but it was like a no, Homer Simpson dough moment. <laughs> Craig was like, we should get the clapper. And I was like, I, I just, I know. So we've got, we've gotten lights with switches. Those have been installed. The other thing you could do, we did this with our kitchen is we kind of designed a 3D thing where you, you put these like fo phony cameras in it and then you, you walk through it in a 3D. And as we did that, my wife saw stuff that she didn't like and we, and it resulted in changes. I'll bet if you had had something like that, Laura, you would have seen that door and say, wait, what is that? Why is that opening inward? Um, yes. and it's a pretty common software now that they can give you a 3D tour through the renovated house. It's a very handy thing to do. I got to thank you for allowing us to enjoy your misery mm -hmm. with this project. And I'm glad that you get to have it finished for the holiday. Have a great holiday with your family. We'll talk to you next year. Thanks, Lisa. You and I will be on the podcast a few more times this year before mm -hmm. we close it out. Thanks to everybody who listens. <laughs>